What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? It's Johnny King with another episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. I am stoked to have Harrison Broadwin with me on this episode. He's a psychotherapist right here in Denver. We're just uh, across town from each other. He runs a private practice specializing in relationships and substance abuse and men's issues. So I'm, I'm psyched to have you on, man. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. Thanks, Johnny. I appreciate the time. Yeah. 100%. 100%. We got connected through another buddy, Jennings, <clears throat> excuse me, who's been on the podcast. He's been a speaker at my men's meetings. Um, and you've done work with him and his men's groups, which is pretty awesome. So yeah, we had a good conversation over coffee months ago. And it's just it's nice to finally have you. We're finally doing it. We're finally yep. recording this bad boy. Yeah. yeah. Long Absolutely. overdue, but Absolutely. it's good. Give, uh, again, just for, for those that don't know you, give a little bit background of just who you are and maybe your life story and how you got into the work and everything else, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Um, and, and naturally, my, my first thought is thinking back to, uh, I mentioned your, the speaker you had uh, at your last meeting and what, a, what an impressive and, and awesome life story that he shared. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope that I have a cool enough, interesting enough life story <laughs> for your <laughs> listeners, right? So yeah, that's, just yeah. a, that's just a brief kind of glimpse into some of my imposter syndrome and how it shows up for me yeah. uh, kind of in the present. Um, and so I think if I was to kind of step back and think, where did this journey begin? Um, I think a lot of it um, started really from a pretty early age of having fairly severe um, and pervasive ADHD. Um, So a lot of hyperactivity as a kid. Uh, I struggled tremendously in school um, and at home, Um, really as far back as I can remember, just being incredibly restless, um, irritable, um, super impulsive. I was getting kicked out of school for um, just being really difficult to manage, I think. Um, Yeah. And that I think instilled, even at that age, I think I I had some understanding that I had this like internalized sense of shame of like, like you don't, whatever you are, it doesn't match with what they need you to be. Um, And I think that's actually a really common experience for folks that struggle with ADHD. Uh, It's just feeling like the world is not constructed in a way that's conducive to what they need, Uh, particularly school um, and our workforce, the nine to five. Um, and so, you know, I'm thinking kind of through my teenage years, getting pretty heavy into alcohol, marijuana use, um, acting out quite a bit, just a lot of high risk behaviors, um, things that I'm yeah. definitely not proud of. Um, and, you know, kind of, I guess, really what seemed to be a shift for me in terms of 
the healing process um, and connecting with this idea of, of healing in general and the therapeutic relationship um, was a trip that I went on called Outward Bound. And Outward Bound, for those that don't know, is a is an outdoor therapeutic wilderness program. Um, they have a headquarters here actually in Colorado. Uh, they have a few all over the country for yeah. uh, youth. Um, they have some programs for veterans um, as well, but primarily for youth that are struggling with um with mood disorders with um with school performance uh, that are involved in the court system um so they you know their premise really is that by connecting with nature we can connect more deeply with ourselves um and it was really pretty profound for me i think right from the beginning i just felt very deeply connected to myself when i was out there when i you know what i what we did was a uh, four week expedition in the boundary waters in Minnesota. Um, so we were canoeing and foraging. Um, yeah, it was incredible. Um, but it was probably the most brutal, difficult four weeks of my life. Um, you know, I, I mean, we were just, we were just living, uh, living out there with everything we needed on our backs and, um, experiencing the world as it came. Um, and it just felt, although it was very difficult physically, emotionally, um, it felt completely right. Like I just, I felt so, uh, like I understood myself um, in such a beautiful and simple way that I had never experienced before. Um, mm. That was really, a, that was definitely a turning point for me in, in kind of seeing myself and certainly wanting to foster that um, for others, create opportunities for that for other folks. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think that was, that was a big moment for me for sure. In, in taking me where, where I am right now. Yeah. And then, and then how long have you been doing psychotherapy and you're relatively new to the game, if I remember yes. correctly. And, yep. but, but still probably it's, it's a, that makes it more of an official title, but it sounds like you've been doing the work, obviously, like a lot of us are who are listeners and myself included. It's, it's a lifelong journey, right? It is. Things like you said that we're not proud of, but also learning from those things and, making pivots, healthier pivots in life. Right. For so, sure. For sure. I mean, what I brought see, you into wanting to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I have to give some credit to my mom. She's a psychologist has been practicing for many, many years. And I was always fascinated with the human condition. I think, as I mentioned, because partially because I, I struggled tremendously myself with figuring out, you know, who are you? Uh, I don't know if you cuss on the, on the program, but I was gonna be like, who, who the fuck is this guy? Right. What is he? Um, you know, and uh, what does he need um, uh, to feel happy, to feel himself, um, to feel confident in who he is? Um, and I could see just by speaking with my mom, she's probably my best friend, um, and I love her very dearly. Um, I could, I really admire the work that she did, and I found it really fascinating. Um, yeah. So when I kind of got through this period of um, using a lot and acting out a lot and kind of discovering so that I was 16 when I went on that outward bound trip. Yeah. And then there were still probably three or four years of, you know, doing things that, you know, just not really being aligned with who I was and fig and, and some of this is just growing up too. I mean, I was just, you know, sometimes just not, you know, didn't really know who I was trying to figure that out, uh, making friends, figuring out who to associate myself with, who I wanted to be. Um, so there was probably, I mean, I mean, there was a lot of things that I did that I think helped me get there. Um, 
Yeah. I've done a lot of my own psychotherapy. Um, I've done a week long ayahuasca retreat in Peru, which was pretty amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I spent a month doing a Vipassana silent meditation in India a few years ago, which was really wonderful. Um, mm. I've, I did a second outward bound trip when I was 21, when I was in college, um, which was also tremendous. Um, you know, I look back and I think there's lots of like these moments that were, that were pivots that were, but you know, it's funny people will tell me like, oh yeah, you, you spent a week doing ayahuasca. Did that change your life? Did that change you? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I think back and I'm like, you know, that was a very meaningful experience for me. Um, that was a very deep and powerful experience. Um, but I think it was only it was only one more step in the progression that my life was going in. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, I think to try to encapsulate it and kind of romanticize like a single turning point is probably just that a, a romanticization of, of a particular moment, but I think it's a culmination, yeah. right? It's a culmination of everything that we do that makes us, you know, ultimately who, who we are and who we're becoming. So. Yeah. Yeah, amen to that. And I think uh, it is easy to think that, uh, especially as guy, what, what? And I remember even going to tons of Tony Robbins um, seminars, and I was always like in my mind wanting to ask him the question, like, when was that moment that you like you switched? Like he had so much uh, going for him. I think he was 19 years old when he became like a millionaire. He made his first million dollars or something crazy like that. Right. Wow. And he moved into this castle in California, like a legit like castle. And, uh, but he continued to make a million dollars every single year and didn't grow that for so many years. Right. Um, and then he made this kind of fundamental shift in his head. And, uh, you know, now he's probably close to a billionaire if he's not already. Um, but I was always wondering like, what, what was that kind of that, that moment and I think the, the more I've listened to him and go to the, have gone to those seminars, the more I realized that there wasn't one of those moments. I mean, I think guys often want to look and like, what, what was the thing or tell me exactly. And sometimes it's not it, you know, it's not like something you can necessarily pinpoint. It's just accumulation of life's journey. Right. And uh, I think it sounds like your experience has been no different. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I certainly understand sort of the, the fantasy, if you will, of a silver bullet, um, that there, yeah. is this, there is this turning point, there is this um, climax moment where everything clicks. Excuse yeah. me. And I experience this sometimes with clients of mine, and I think that it comes from a very good place, this place of, I want meaningful change in my life. Um, I want to feel like, there's something I can do differently and I'm going to feel happy or I'm going to feel like my life is meaningful or I'm going to get along better with my wife or wh whatever it is. That's the goal. It feels like, okay, this one thing needs to change and everything will fall in line. Mm -hmm. And I would love for that to be true. Um, and I don't think it is. Um, mm. I think there are lots of small, meaningful changes that you can make. And I think that a lot of it's about a commitment to the process and to doing hard things and a commitment to failing and a commitment to keep coming back and keep trying again, right? Mm. To fail forward and to fail in a meaningful way, right? I, I believe in, I definitely believe in failure. I believe in taking a lot of risks and I do believe in trying. Um, and I think by trying that we actualize the goals and the values that we have.
Right. Yeah. I think that uh, that does come up, <clears throat> like I was saying, with me, with with other men as well. I'm sure you've seen it too. It's like we want to, we kind of want to define that uh, that road, that uh, blueprint, that strategy before we take action. You know, yeah. to maybe minimize the the risk of failure or whatever. Um, and yet, sometimes that overanalyzing, which I think a lot of us do too keeps us stagnated first is just saying, fuck it. I'm going to go. And I'm just going to take, uh, just, just, just start going and choose. Like if we're at a fork, choose one of the, the, the directions. And then if you realize that's not the, the, the one, then turn around, come back, choose another one. Right. So maybe uh, if we're talking about kind of that concept of um, the pursuit of change or the pursuit of growth versus stagnations, uh, stagnation or ambivalence or <clears throat> apathy um what ideas have you experienced just for yourself personally as a man but also things that you've noticed with with guys that you've worked with or conversed with um is it come bit does it really come down to that of, of what i was saying where just just take action or is there a sweet uh, a healthy middle you know in terms of having an, an idea but then just going <clears throat> or do you really sure. want to have a, a quote unquote blueprint or a business plan what's what's been your experience yeah yeah well it's it's um it's a fairly open question um and you know my initial thought is that um when i've had plans in the past um they generally um haven't always worked out exactly the way i had hoped right so to me it's striking some level of balance right and i think that in order to find balance on some level, we have to know what our values are and what's important to us, right? So, I mean, yeah. I think I have a strong need for spontaneity. Um, we were chatting about this, I think, before the recording about the fact that um, a, a close friend of mine I was on a ski trip with this weekend, I was chatting with him about this discussion we were going to have. And I yeah. told him that I really didn't have a, uh, like a hard and fast strategy or discussion that I wanted to talk about with you. And he, I could see him like, like his, like something, like there was something crawling in him, like internally, he was just, he was like incredibly uncomfortable at the idea that I would come to this discussion without like a script, without like a hard and fast plan of what we were going to do, right? How uncomfortable that made him. Um, And it really struck me that he had this really strong need for predictability um, and for preparedness. And I said to him, you know, I don't think that those are necessarily exclusive. You know, I think that there is space for for spontaneity and for preparedness. All right. I can feel prepared and not know exactly what I'm going into. Right. To say, like, you know, I don't really know what Johnny and I are going to chat about, but I like the guy. I know the guy. We've talked before, you know, um, and I think the two of us can have an interesting dialogue without necessarily having it scripted out. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so to me, like what I get from that, and maybe you get something different, I don't know, but what I get from it is that it's okay for us to do things differently, that we each have our own kind of balance, right? Our own kind of homeostasis of what feels right. Um, And I think it's important for me as a clinician, as a therapist, when folks come in to see me to say like, I understand that you do things your way and I'm not here to rewrite your kind of framework, your blueprint, 
right? I'm here just to recognize it, to see the strength in it, right? And to add complexity. Mm-hmm. And when I say complexity, what I mean is making space for um, a multitude of different emotions and needs Yeah. at the same time, right? So to me, we often find ourselves limiting our complexity, trying to simplify, trying to think in black and white terms. Um, and I think that, that there's efficiency to that, that that makes sense. But overall, what I'm hoping for is that folks can appreciate a level of complexity in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so in this example, I want to be able to appreciate that I have a need for spontaneity. And as my friend wanted to point out, I also have a need for preparedness, right? Mm-hmm. I have a need to feel prepared on some level, right? And can I make room for both of those things, right? Can I help set myself up to meet those needs? Yeah, I think it's the, uh, I love that answer because I, it, it makes me think of the, the, the polarity of, of interacting, whether it be with like you and I just shooting the shit or whether you're uh, vibing with uh, a girl or a partner that you're into and, and you're pitching and catching. It's like the, um, it's the polarity of masculine and feminine, you know, the, the feminine kind of being spontaneous and not knowing exactly where it's going while the, the masculine wants to know like, what's the destination, but just trusting that it's, it's going to be the journey, not so much the destination that's going to be of value, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of what you're talking about. And those two things coexist simultaneously. We have a need for certainty and a need for uncertainty. We have a need for security and comfort. And we also have a need for adventure and excitement at the same time. And, and it can work. I think guys think it really should be, you know, preparedness, but with that preparedness comes uh, overanalyzing or, you know, just it getting boring, you know, or predictable pressure. Yeah. Yeah, Like too much. There's Mm -hmm. gotta be a little bit of letting go while you still have a hold of the reins a little bit. Right. There's that yin and yang. What what are your thoughts to that? You know, I think, I think it's very true. Um, and I would also add that it's not a 50, 50 thing, right? And it's also it's not linear. It's not, you know, six of one of this, half a dozen of this, right? It's really embracing that our needs are flexible and dynamic, right? That our needs change with our circumstances, right? And they, and it's important for us to honor what we need. It's important for us to listen to this internal compass that's trying to communicate, hey, Harrison, like you're feeling stagnant, go out and and go like climb a mountain or go like have coffee with a new person that you don't know, or, yep. right? Like, so yep. it's important for me to like be cued in and listening. Like, what is my internal dialogue? What's my internal compass trying to communicate to me? Maybe it's that I need a little bit of a shift here, right? Maybe I'm needing more predictability. Maybe I'm needing more spontaneity. Maybe I'm needing to establish a boundary with someone that I care about, right? But to me, it's very much like I'm going to look within, something's being activated right now, let me recognize it, and let me figure out what I need to do to find balance again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's, the, that's the awareness and the emotional intelligence, if you will, that I think all men are capable of but a lot of us, myself included, 
never really nurtured a whole lot of that growing up. You know, if anything, it was the, the antithesis of that. <clears throat> and uh, as we get older, going through shit, going through stress, going through loss, going through the, the challenges of, of life <clears throat> requires us to have a higher level of uh, mental fortitude, you know, and, and, and being able to understand that it's just not always black and white. There's so many different <clears throat> shades. And like you said, it's not a 50-50 thing. Like life yes. is so organic, always changing, always ebbing and flowing. Uh, and in that, that's where the, the art is. That's where the fulfillment is. That's where the, the beauty, I think, exists in life. Um, yeah. Even though so much of us want to, you know, have a process or streamline things and have it be all completely fitting in a box, but there's no straight lines in nature, which I think is the, the beautiful part of it. So, yes. Yeah, I think it is seeing it as beautiful. It is, it is about embracing um, novelty, embracing the discomfort that comes with a life that is unpredictable, um, a life mm -hmm. with so many things out of control, um, and to find beauty in that, um, and to find joy and vitality in that, mm -hmm. I think is so important. I actually, I had a pretty meaningful experience the other day that reminded me of this um, we had a, a man in my men's group who was talking about the war in Ukraine. And it really, for him, what was coming up for him was this idea that men are seen as soldiers, right? Because the Ukrainian president is, is saying men need to stay back and join the army and defend their country. And for him, what was coming up was this idea that men have been historically um, uh, conditioned to be prepared for war and what it's had to do for yeah. us psychologically. Right. And it was really, I thought uh, he was making a very eloquent argument. Um, I think that it resonated with a lot of the members of the group. And then there's this moment where another member of the group looks at him and says, you know, I hear you and I agree on an intellectual level about what you're saying, right? That men are, are bred for war, that we have to compartmentalize our weakness in order to fight our enemies. And he said, and I want to know about you. I don't want to have an intellectual conversation about history right? How does this apply to you? Mm -hmm. And he just oh, falls back in his chair. And, and just, I mean, it was just this incredible moment where he recognizes that he in his home as a child, right, was treated this way, that he felt from as early as he could remember that he was conscripted for war, a war that mm -hmm. he did not consent to. Right. By growing up in a home with emotionally unavailable parents, parents mm -hmm. who did not were not able to tolerate his suffering. Right. And instead told him, buck up, buttercup. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And just having another man look at him and say, I want to know about you. Right. This wall just whoosh, came down. That's amazing. It really was. It really was. And I began to cry. Um, which I've never done in a session before. Um, I wasn't weeping. I, I wasn't making like making a scene or bringing the attention away from the moment, but I just felt my eyes welling with tears at the beauty of this moment of him having mm -hmm. compassion for this child that was hurt. Mm -hmm. right? And as I rethink it, I think about the compassion I might've been having for myself, right? The compassion of being a misunderstood child and how painful and dismissive that can feel, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had never done that in session before, 
Um, and it's something I think I had been holding back for a long time now. Um, and it felt really liberating to allow myself to experience that level of emotion in, in a session. And as a therapist, I think we're often sort of told in our, in our schooling that, you know, kind of keep yourself in check, you know, keep your emotions at the side. Like this is about the client, right? This is about focusing on them. And I, you know, in that moment, none of that crossed my mind. I was just so moved by his emotion. Um, I was so moved. It was such a beautiful experience to be a part of. Uh, and I didn't plan that. And if I had planned it, it would have been super weird and contrived. <laughs> and so you just can't write this up, right? I mean, it's just the experience right. of life. Right? It's just the way it's just the way things happen sometimes and we we don't know. We can't explain it. Right? Yeah. And you know, I could I could give you another example of just two weeks before that, we had another member from group that I thought was an excellent, you know, valuable, really rich member of the group. And out of nowhere he just decided, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to continue on. Right? Like he just decided that he was done. And that was devastating to me, right? So um, like I had this incredibly beautiful moment juxtaposed with this very painful moment of someone leaving. Um, not that he said that I had done anything wrong, but of course you might be picking up, you know, I, I internalize things sometimes, right? And so I think to be able to take a step back and have some perspective, you know, of like, wow, there's such richness going on. And if I can just allow myself to be fully present to it, there is so much that I can learn about myself mm -hmm. and these men, these men around me. I think that's, it's, uh, it's so valuable. And what made me think of too, with my kind of upbringing as well, which I think a lot of guys can resonate with their own upbringings that <clears throat> I never really thought about until I started really doing some more men's work, but, but, you know, again, growing up with, without my father really around a ton, uh, emotionally and my mom being kind of always <laughs> at the end of a rope trying to manage five children you know i never really felt safe to to be uh all all the emotions that i ultimately felt i was very much uh repressing it and as a result i think that is i had never thought of it until you said it, it was like that was um very much a breeding ground for teaching me to be protective or or to you know, it's just like going to war. It's like we're, we're protecting what is that we hold near and dear to our hearts, which a lot of times it's, it's the, it's the real me. And I keep that kind of, uh, behind the walls, so to speak, you know, and I don't want to let that, let anyone, you know, necessarily come in and, and, you know, experience that the real me. So that's taking time to obviously to, to let down the walls. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'm very much, protective just makes me think I'm like, I, I feel like I have been, I had that experience with, with mushrooms a couple of years ago during 2020 up in the woods. And I just, I was just, I was just weeping for hours. Cause I felt like I'm just so exhausted because I've been fighting this kind of imaginary fight all my life, feeling very much alone <clears throat> in my life. And, and I kind of wonder if I were to, <laughs> be killed would anyone notice you know mm -hmm. does anyone am i of value right yes um which i hadn't really uh thought about 
you know, on the forefront, I think it was always underlying subconsciously, but I hadn't really, it never really came to the surface until I was kind of going through that, that process, which I thought was deeply powerful and valuable. So <clears throat> along those lines, when we're talking about growth, um, change, um, raising your one standards, you know, a lot of times guys that are listening to this podcast or guys that I run into probably say with you, uh, they're, they're unhappy with certain areas of their life, right? They're, they're obviously seeking, which I think is beautiful. And, and that's why we all connect because we we're not willing to settle for mediocrity in some sense. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, driving for change, you've, you've talked about before we started recording, just the, the difference between internal and external drivers of growth and change. Yeah. Do you mind elaborating on that a little bit? Cause I think that's, that's valuable yeah, uh, in many different ways. Yeah, definitely. If, if it's okay. I mean, before I do that, I just, I felt the kind of energy even of our discussion shift when I heard you share this piece about yourself, you know, and I thought it was just mm -hmm. a really beautiful moment. Um, and I didn't want to leave it um, unattended, if you will. Mm. Um, sure. This moment of, of recognition um, of, of your value. And um, I know that I would miss you. And I know that mm. in the brief time that we have worked together, that you have left an impression on me um, that has been meaningful to me um, and I, I have a lot of love and respect for you Johnny and and so um, that part of me wants to just I think wrap my arms around and 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 you know kind of hold that piece of you that wonders mm -hmm. if I if do I really <clears throat> matter right in this world um, if I were gone would anyone really notice Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. And so um, I've definitely, um, it really resonates with my experience of my father. Um, I think that he feels um, very inadequate and I'm not trying mm -hmm. to put that word onto you. I'm just saying that's been a lot of his experience and he's been a great teacher for me. Um, often, and we'll joke about this, he and I have a pretty close relationship these days, but we'll joke that I've learned vicariously a lot through him about what matters, mm -hmm. what's, what's a value. Um, he has been, especially later in life, um, been very, very financially successful um, in what he's done. Um, and at the same time, he feels this juxtaposition with in his personal life of not necessarily feeling adequate of not feeling like mm. he has a lot of meaning in his life. So, you know, uh, I think he would probably characterize it as having a, a lot of external validation in terms of the financial success that he's had and the respect and admiration that he has in his respective industry. Um, and yet there's this internal piece of him that feels very incomplete. Um, and I think part of that is because he has a deep need uh, for, partnership. And he and my mother separated when I was in high school. Um, they, uh, I think, more or less fell out of love with each other that um, I don't think she ever felt that he was able to meet her needs on an emotional level. Um, he was very, very driven um, and very focused. And it wasn't really, I, I didn't experience as, as a part of this family, I didn't experience that he really shifted um, his priorities until after they separated. 
which I thought was yeah. interesting. Um, so after, mm-hmm. after the two of them had actually divorced, I noticed a notable shift in his participation in the family that he was far more engaged and far mm-hmm. more interested in what everyone was up to um, and mm-hmm. cared far less about his career aspirations. Um, and so to me, uh, I guess, I guess hearing that story, you know, uh, you might think like, okay, so Harrison believes it's all about the internal experience and external validation is clearly not of importance. Right. Right. But I think that would be an oversimplification. Right. Um, I think that when it comes to internal versus external drive, I think that it's important to find some level of balance. I think it's important to figure out what, how much financial security do I need to feel comfortable, right? And what type of relational security and relational uh, uh, value, um, equity is the word I was thinking, uh, relational equity and, and interpersonal equity do I need to feel um, in my life, right? Um, and I think that's very individual, right, to, to, to each of us you know, based on what's important to us, right? I think when we lose sight of that, that things can really go awry, right? And making peace with these different parts of us, making peace with the fact that perhaps I do have a need for financial success. Perhaps I I do have this desire to uh, live in a nice home or provide something to my community or to have a, a meaningful partnership um, or raise children or whatever, right? Um, I think it's about being really honest about that with yourself. That's really important. I think your your story resonates deeply because I'm probably a much, I mean, it sounds like I'm kind of like your dad a lot. <laughs> I, have, I have a deep, deep need for partnership, you know, and in the, 42 years of my life. I haven't, uh, I haven't found it now I was previously married, you know, <clears throat> but I didn't make the changes, um, until it was kind of too late in terms of, you know, saving that, uh, saving that relationship. So having said that, I feel like, uh, <clears throat> you know, I guess I struggle sometimes with, uh, feeling, like, am I codependent because I really need that other type of relationship in my life? Um, am I, you know, is, is, is wanting to spend life with someone, um, you know, such a, does that make me codependent because I want to spend my life with someone, right? Or is that healthy? And like, I, I can't tend to, uh, reconcile sometimes that difference between, you know, uh, too much of a, a neediness, you know, or an attachment to wanting to spend life with someone versus being like, no, it's totally natural. And it's, you know, we're human beings and we're meant to, to, you know, live life together and share things together. But I bounce back and forth sometimes between that and really think, and that's why I kind of asked you the question initially, I about at times I question whether or not I should just, be done with all this work that I'm doing because it doesn't totally, it doesn't fulfill me 
in certain ways that I feel like a relationship would fulfill me. And, but then I think if, if all I had was the relationship, sometimes I wonder if that wouldn't fulfill me either. So I feel like I, I need to have both. Right. But I do feel like I I've learned in much the same way that your dad has uh, after my failed marriage, <clears throat> but then here I am finding myself getting older with each passing day and deeply wanting a, a you know, amazing, amazing connection with a woman and uh, start a family, you know, but am I, losing time because I'm somehow uh, self-sabotaging myself because I'm <clears throat> being pulled by different drivers, you know, that aren't healthy. I don't know. It's, that's a, that's a whole kind of uh, internal fight <laughs> vomit that I just threw on you, but I don't know if that whole, <laughs> a whole lot of that makes sense, but that's kind of where I find myself in this. Yeah. Feel free to feel free to shit and puke all over me. I'm, <laughs> I I appreciate being yeah. in the bottom. Um, yeah. And I, I can certainly, I can certainly embrace and, and understand what you're saying about your, the complexity of your emotion and your need for intimacy, mm-hmm. right. And your need for striving and mm-hmm. figuring out how all of this works, right. How do I make all this work? You know, and I think that's common when someone doesn't feel like I have all the things that I need right now. I don't have maybe everything that I want, right? That there's some of this natural anxiety that's pushing us forward, right? To reach, right? right. Um, that feels like healthy striving to me, like healthy reaching. That's the way I experience you. Mm-hmm. Mm. There are things that I want in this world that I don't have right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like I tend to, and I bet, I bet other <laughs> listeners or viewers of this would, would probably experience some of this too. I don't give credit to myself a whole lot with stuff that I accomplish in my life. I just kind of quickly move over it or I just don't acknowledge my own, let's say greatness. Right. <clears throat> but I tend to focus a lot on being hard on myself I tend to focus a lot on the, the what I don't have, the scarcity. <clears throat> as much as people say, and I hear it all the time, like, oh, you're so positive. I'm like, am I really? Because when I do talk to my coach <laughs> or my therapist, they're always like, why do you always go to the negative? I'm like, I know, right? Like, I do feel like, um, man, I don't know if I'm just like trying to kid myself or if that's imposter syndrome. I don't feel like I'm trying to put on a, uh, a mask of like positivity, but when I'm talking to other people, especially my coaching, I can be so empathetic. I have so much love for other people yeah. and I really struggle to love myself. Um, well, I love myself to a degree, but I, I feel like deep down, I know I love myself, but on the surface of day to day, I'm so hard on myself, you know? So I don't know, again, if that's conditioning from my parents and my upbringing, I'm sure it is. Um, yeah. But I'm sure so many of us kind of struggle with the same type of thing. Um, yeah, and I'm sure you run into it with other men too, but I don't know how to reconcile that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think recognizing it is a way of reconciling, right? So I think recognizing the pattern of, um, okay, I'm striving, but I'm highly critical of myself. You know, have I been taking some mental inventory? Am I recognizing all of the things I'm grateful for in my life and all the striving that I've made? Um, or am I strictly focusing on the things that I can grow and the things that I can do better, right? Does it feel like there's a balance? Does it feel like I'm giving myself both sides of the argument, just like I would for somebody else? 
and seeing both the growth and the strength and also seeing opportunities for more right um because mm -hmm. i agree i don't think that we give ourselves a whole lot of credit right and i'm not of the opinion that therapy is about cheerleading or about saying you know you're the shit and you got this and you're doing all the right things right um i do definitely challenge my clients pretty considerably um but i try to do so and match it with a level of empathy and understanding right, right. the harder Same. thing is yeah. to really embody that to recognize that we can't be all people all places all the time right mm -hmm. and there's a number of things that i've done that have helped me to try to find balance find an equilibrium when my sense of center, when my sense of orientation is disrupted. Um, and some of it is internal and some of it's external. Mm -hmm. Right. So you kind of mentioned like, is there this internal external? I think it's both. Right. Like for me personally, I'm very connected to my wife. She and I talk about things that are, that are difficult for me. Um, we process emotions, right. There are some things that she, is great at processing with me on and there's other things she's not and if she's not maybe i go to somebody else maybe i talk with my mom or dad maybe i talk with a close friend right maybe i don't need to talk it out maybe i just need to get out in nature and go for a hike or take my dogs on a walk or listen to right. a podcast from johnny king you know i mean you're damn I right yeah right and, become, and and embody this sense of becoming a king right and and feel this positive energy um you know this optimism that you exude um and i think that can feel contagious and can feel empowering right and mm -hmm. so i think it's important to have a diverse tool set right so when you go through something you don't just have the hammer right you don't just have the hammer Maybe I've got, you know, the analogy, maybe I've got the screwdriver, I've got the drill bits, you know, I've got, I've got the wrench. I know that my life is complex. My needs are complex. My emotions, my circumstances are complex. So why should my coping skills and my support systems not be equally as complex, right? And so I would encourage you, and when I say you, Johnny, I, I mean you specifically, but I also mean you collectively, to consider adding complexity and adding nuance to the way you approach the problems in your life, right? That maybe I have a tendency toward um, criticism, right? Maybe I have a tendency toward being hard on myself. What would it be like to inject a little bit of self-compassion right, or a little bit of self-acceptance, kind of almost flipping the things I say on their head and saying the opposite. What would that be like, mm -hmm. right? Or mm -hmm. I typically push other people away when I feel upset. What would it be like to let some of those people in, you know, mm -hmm. right? Because there's opportunities for both, right? And it's important to get a sense of what really helps me. And in order to do that, I have to try, right? I have to try. I have to put myself out there a little bit to really experiment and be playful about what I need, what I need from this world, what I need from myself. So interjecting a little bit more of those nuances. Yeah. 
the com- into the complexity, into the conversation, into the old patterns, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And sometimes it takes a trusted friend or a mentor or a therapist or a coach mm-hmm. to kind of encourage us to think about ways of challenging ourselves that are helpful, that are actually nuanced and different from what we've done before to kind of shine a, I, I call it kind of holding the frame, right? I'm just sort of holding a frame for you to look at the picture that you're painting here, right? And then let's add nuance. Let's add more complexity to that picture, right? Because you deserve that. You deserve to have a, a wide range of tools to reach into when you need support, when you need help. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, amen to that. No, that's really... Uh... Yeah, that's really good. Solid. Thank you. That's really cool. I think that's not only valuable to me, obviously, but to I think a lot of people that are <clears throat> listening. Um, so. Yeah, I think so for sure. I got a question, uh, switching gears a little bit, but kind of on the same you know, vein as I, I got a text from one of my clients earlier this morning. And he said he's working with uh, a buddy of his who's going through almost an identical situation as he is with his wife, um, just marriage challenges. But he seems awfully resistant um, to to help, to support, to change. And man, whether I've gotten, you know, texts like like his this morning, or I I mean, a lot of times it comes from women like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to support my husband. Can you reach out to him or my brother, my uncle, my dad, like, but they're just, you know, they're again, they're ambivalent to, to, to change, you know? So how, how would you recommend, um, you know, those of us that maybe have done some of the work and know the value of the, the growth and see someone so much needing it, but maybe they're not open to it. How do you, how do you work with someone or how do you support someone who's not really completely willing to, to change, if that makes yeah, sense? Totally, totally. I think it does. And maybe it speaks more directly to this idea of internal versus external change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In order for some, it, it's my belief um, that in order for someone to really enact change in their lives, they have to first recognize that there's a problem, right? It's, it's the, I think it's the first step in the 12 step program. It's, you know, in motivational interviewing, which is another therapeutic approach. It's like recognizing that a problem exists is considered the first step in the model of change. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So in order for someone to recognize that there's a problem, um, they need to feel safe and they also Mm -hmm. need to feel like accountable to themselves. Um, I often talk with folks that are loved ones um, of let's say the primary person that we're talking about. Maybe that person has a substance use problem. Maybe they're whatever emotionally unavailable or they're acting out in some way. Um, That's kind of my first question is like, do they recognize that this is a problem? Um, do they recognize the way that they that the problem has caused harm to the people that they love um namely Mm. probably you whoever's talking to me um often i find that instead of being really vocal and honest with these folks i think that there's a desire to protect the relationship 
um, on some level. So um, if I'm honest with my husband about how he's treating me or if I tell my wife that um, her drinking is causing major problems in our marriage, et cetera, et cetera, then what will happen, right? They'll leave me or maybe they won't care, which would be even more invalidating. Um, maybe they'll lash out or become angry or they'll engage in more uh, problem behaviors, right? So there's all of these situations, right? And I said, okay, well, um, what are you protecting right now, right? Like what is, what, what position are you taking in the relationship, right? So what I'm really doing is I'm actually talking about the person, the, the, not the primary person we're talking about, but the actual, the supporter, right? The partner, the spouse of that person, right? And I think what we, what we often find is that that person is quite ambivalent to change as well, right? That the idea of setting a firm limit, like if you continue to drink this way, I'm going to file for a divorce, right? Or if you, uh, right, so you, you kind of get what I'm saying, like setting a very firm yeah. limit, you know, of saying, mm -hmm. this is unacceptable to me. I can, no, I can no longer tolerate this, right? And in outward bound terms, you know, from the wilderness program that I did, we call it natural consequences, right? Mm -hmm. So in the woods, when you're out camping, if you don't set up your tent right and then it rains, you get wet. It's a natural consequence, right? But in a relationship that involves some level of emotional complexity where one person might be protecting another person's maladaptive behavior, um, or they might be punishing them or shaming them, right? And this person's acting out or they're becoming dismissive or avoidant, you know, it becomes a tangled dance, right? And part of the, t part of the untangling part of the simplification is simply to recognize this is my responsibility and this is your responsibility and i'm going to live in this place of radical honesty when it comes to what i'm responsible for right i'm going to be responsible for my boundaries i'm going to be responsible for living up to the values that i hold in my life um, and i'm going to let you know if you violate my boundaries right mm -hmm. To me, a value, one of my values is honesty, right? And, you know, for example, Johnny, like as a hypothetical, if, if you were, you know, late to our conversation, I would, I would feel disrespected, you know, like you don't value my time, right? Um, if I said that to you, would it hurt your feelings? It might, it might, right? But I can live with that because it's important to some degree that I would let you know that my time is valuable and by coming in late, that might make me feel disrespected, right? Or not valued, right? And so to me, that's a very important discussion is really to differentiate what is mine and what is yours, right? And when we do that with someone who's, you know, when we're really honest with somebody who's engaged in a behavior that they don't see as problematic, I see a shift. I see a disruption mm -hmm. and often that person really recognizes sometimes for the first time that what they have done has harmed the people that they love. Right. But the people they love have been so careful not to say anything, right. Or not to say it in a productive and, and assertive way that they have continued to do the behaviors that are contributing to the problem. Mm-hmm.
right? So that's my long, short way of saying, I think we need to take ownership of what we're responsible for and try to relinquish things that are other people's responsibility. Right. Because I've noticed that too, a lot of times, and it's certainly a lot easier to see from the outside in than when it's happening in with me and you know, my friend or, or my family member. Right. Yes. Um, that sort of thing is, is uh, ultimately noticing maybe where we have been enabling a lot of bad behavior, you know, because we're scared of what we're going to lose, or we're scared of creating a healthier boundary or speaking up. Um, certainly so much easier for me in the coaching industry to, to say that to a guy that I'm working with, especially who's coaching me, you know, versus to some of my very best friends or to someone I'm dating or, you know, to my, one of my siblings or to my father, something like that. So I think that's, that's why I wanted to ask the question because it's, it, sometimes when it's just business, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's just easy just to say, Hey, this is how it is. And we don't have that emotional tie, but when we have those people that we really, really love, like that's the hardest uh, thing to work through. And certainly those family members that I've worked with have been the hardest, most challenging clients to work with because I, it, you know, it's, there's so many, so many different dynamics there. Right. But I think your answer gives a really good uh, strategy and support to someone who's needing to probably speak up to some type of behavior or or something that uh, they're no longer willing to tolerate, which is a great point, but it can be super scary. Right. But it can also save a life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's terrifying. I think the stakes are much higher. I think that there's much less um, structure and predictability when it comes to personal as opposed to professional relationships, right? Professional relationships, there's like ethics, there's like a code of conduct, there's like a way of doing things that's very structured. And for many of us, and I include myself in this, my parents did not model conflict resolution very well. Yeah. You know, so my mom was conflict avoidant, very fearful. Um, but had like heavy emotional needs, like, and she would own this, that she's a, a, a fairly emotionally sensitive person. Um, whereas my dad was so disconnected from his emotion that he didn't even recognize when a problem existed, right? He was so caught up in what he was doing. So there was such a, there was a lack of attunement going on for both of them. Right. Um, and I see this a lot in couples that I work with that there isn't really a recognition of when when do we need to come together to lovingly set boundaries with each other right Mm -hmm. and sometimes creating predictability and structure is helpful for that right it's funny because we started talking in the beginning about how i i'm a pretty spontaneous person and i like to live organically but you know my wife and i have certain structures that have really helped us to elevate our conversations those that are emotionally driven those that involve giving each other feedback. These are highly charged conversations that we've, we have been practicing. I don't want to say we learned because it's still, it's, it's a give and take, you know, it's like two steps forward, one step back. I mean, we're human, right? Um, but one thing we do is we preface by saying, hey, I have something on my mind. Are you, are you open to having a, t- a discussion right now? Right? To kind of just get a sense of consent. You know, to say like, hey, are you open to hearing some feedback right now? Mm -hmm. And to accept that they may not be, right? Maybe like, oh, no, I need to eat some dinner first. Or, oh, I need to watch some stupid TV and then I'll be like reset, you know, after a long work day. I just need to like disconnect or 
you know, we often, <laughs> totally. we often do things without words. Like we take dogs for a walk and we're quiet, but it's peaceful. And we're, maybe we hold hands while we do it. And then maybe afterwards we feel better about navigating some kind of conflict resolution together. Right. Totally. The other thing that we do that we've really learned to do well, that's really been helpful is we know when to take breaks. We've learned, we've learned when to stop, right? When nothing, one of us will say, well, if we're doing well, one of us will say like, I think this is the point where nothing good will happen. So it's time for us to pause. Um, break, yeah. 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 I've had a mentor tell me he'll say to his kids, this is love and logic with kids, but like, I, I love you too much to argue with you. You know, which I think is a beautifully simple way of saying it. I love you too much to argue with you right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when we feel more centered, when we feel like, um, like we're ready to take on this challenge again, let's go back. Right. Let's not push this to the side. Let's not give up on this. Let's come back. Right. So we're engaging in conflict in a loving way, in a mutually consensual way, in a way where power is shared equally between the two parties right? Where both people really listen and try to validate what the other person is saying, mm-hmm. right? While still, while still communicating what's important to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that again, it goes back to what we were talking about previously, which is again, having, um, having a vision of where you want to go, right? Without having a, a huge attachment to how you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, because what, what my mind went when you were talking about that with how you, you chat with your wife, it's like, I don't go into the gym just willy nilly with no real clear idea of what, like, I know exactly what I'm going to fucking do. Yeah. I know how long it's going to take. I set my timer in between sets. Like I'm very, very clear on, on what I'm doing there. Right. Same with my nutrition. Okay. Um, and I feel like in terms of a relationship, an intentional relationship, you, you, you do want to have that structure. You know, when you do want to check in, maybe you want, you have a a team meeting with you and your wife, and maybe even with your kids every Sunday night, you know, or do things like that while still leaving the the flexibility, like you said, to, to, to check in. And if she doesn't want to talk or if he doesn't want to talk right now, then you say, cool, you're just kind of setting the stage, right? To say, okay, well then maybe will you let me know when you're available to, because I have something I want to talk to you. That's, you know, yes, not not a difficult conversation, but just something that I, I would like your full attention on. And then they can come back and say, cool, give me an hour. And or how about tomorrow or over dinner? And I think that's so much better than couples who don't talk. Right. Yes. And there's yeah. things that then, and years go by without very little you sure. know, emotional intimacy there. Yeah. You said something really quick that I wanted to pick up on too, which is that if the person who says, you know, now's not a good time, I love that they get to be responsible for reinitiating the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not this kind of like, oh, you have one person that's, that's consistently leading the conversations, kind of right. initiating contact, initiating disagreements, but like, okay, so if you need a moment, I'd like for you to let me know when you're ready, right? All right. So, So there's this sharing, right? Sharing of responsibility, sharing of initiation, right? And that you're really honoring each other, right? The one person saying, okay, I hear that you need time and I can honor that. And the other person by responding is saying, I hear that you have something you need to talk about and I'm going to make sure that I respect that as well. Mm -hmm. 
right? So to me, that's where they're, we try to have both and, right? Instead of but, it's like we have both. Um, yeah. So I try, to, I try to encourage that. To me, that, that goes in line with this theme we've talked about, which is embracing complexity, right? Embracing, embracing both. Mm. Mm. Amen to that. Well, I certainly feel like we could continue talking, which we, we certainly could have to do a, a part two and a part three and everything else. Uh, but just sure, for the, the sure. sake of time for, for the listeners, I, I, I do want to just conclude in saying, first and foremost, um, yeah, I just want to honor you because I can tell, you know, especially when you tell uh, your, your background story of being like, you were a tough child to deal with, which I'm like, yeah, so was I, <laughs> you know, and you got yeah, into uh, weed and alcohol and various other things. So it's not like you have gone through life unscathed. You have done, done the work. And I can just tell there's like a sage wisdom to, uh, to the things that you talk about and a depth of um, intentionality or um, thoughtfulness in your responses and in, in hearing the things that I'm saying or things that we're discussing that I think is pretty rare. So anyways, I, I just acknowledge you for your, I don't know, you're a, an amazing human being. I love the work that you're doing. I like how you still bring a, like a realness to the conversation without having it sound like it all comes out of a textbook, even though I can tell you're still <laughs> very, very thoughtful and, and uh, learned in the space. So thanks for, sure. yeah, just bringing, bringing your knowledge to all this, man. I'm glad. And I appreciate that, it, that it feels authentic because it, it does come 100%. from me. And I think it's, it is, it is kind of finding that balance between imparting some knowledge and being and embodying the knowledge, right. Embodying the yeah. work. I think that's, that is yeah. a, without question, a huge, a huge aspect of, of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I try to imbibe as well as being as authentic and real as I can while also not just like, you know, sounding like I'm just, regurgitating shit you know that doesn't really mean a whole lot you know so yeah i love it well yeah. in terms of uh in terms of your private practice if someone's listening and says you know like i just i just vibe with what what you stand for and how you work and how you talk and they're interested yeah. in potentially maybe connecting with you and just seeing what what that would look like whether they live in denver or they live anywhere else in the world what what would that look like in terms of being able to get your support in mental health or navigating change in their life or seeking yeah. to, to foster more meaningful relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the easiest way really to reach me would be uh, either to shoot me an email um, yeah. and, and we can list that maybe in, in the notes, my email address. Um, that's probably the best way for me to connect with folks. I'm listed in uh, psychology today, which is, mm -hmm. um, which is a directory for therapists, social workers, psychiatrists. Um, cool. It's it's really a wonderful resource, um, and uh, and I've I've connected with a lot of folks through through that avenue. Um, so I would say psychology today, or just reaching out directly through my email if you're comfortable listing it. I'm happy to, to provide that yeah. if folks want to reach out. Um, what is your email? While we're it's, uh, H Broadwin. Um, so first initial last name, uh, hbrodwin at gmail.com. Um, and folks can reach out Easy and inquire if, if I have totally. some openings and, um, yeah, I would, that'd be wonderful. Cool. And then as far as, uh, Instagram, can you explain who the bagel whisperer is? <laughs> 
it speaks to two loves of mine, which is uh, bagels. Um, growing up in New York, uh, I just love bagels. Um, and it's a play on Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. Um, I love dogs and I, I actually love, I don't know if Caesar's been canceled. I can't keep up with cancel culture, but I, I just always enjoyed watching his show and how intuitive yeah. he was with his energy and Talk his about. ability to um, set limits, um, but do so in a really loving and intentional way. Um, he's just a very yeah. gifted healer. Um, and so I just, it was just a very honestly impulsive, spontaneous decision um, that I probably thought of for two seconds, but those are the, those are the genesis of the bagel whisperer. Um, and, and yeah, so that's, that's where that came that's from. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so. awesome. So yeah, if you want to, if you want to connect uh, with Harrison on Instagram and, you know, just look up the, the bagel whisperer. I yes. just thought that maybe you had a, uh, you know, an affinity for, for counseling or working with troubled bagels you know so <laughs> i was curious about how that all worked out so i mean yeah it's not as collaborative it's more one-sided my relationship it's, it's purely <laughs> yeah. selfish yeah. Uh, my need for yeah. for a good locks and schmear and an everything bagel um so um yeah i don't think the bagel gets much word in edgewise there um no. nor do i when i'm no. not when i'm you know uh <laughs> yeah. so yeah yeah uh that's awesome that's awesome well thank you brother thank you for being on thanks for like i said sharing some uh some serious uh wisdom nuggets with my listeners and viewers and just uh i'm excited to kind of see where where things continue to go um for for you for both of us and working together and everything else so i just appreciate yeah. you being on, on man thank you likewise johnny my pleasure Absolutely. awesome man well thank you guys always as list uh for listening to the Becoming Kings podcast. I hope you found this valuable. I would highly recommend you connect uh, with Harrison, uh, whether it be psychology today, I'll drop that into the, uh, into the show notes, uh, his email address, shoot him a, an email on Instagram. Um, or if you can't figure out what any of those things are, shoot me a, an email and I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you back, reply with, with how to connect yeah. with them. So yeah, man, thank you so much for, for being here. Thanks guys for, for listening, for watching. We'll catch up with you on the next episode of Becoming Kings podcast. Cheers. That's it for this one. And I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it also, share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say, hey, it would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts, since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend, or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.